Radio Level 5 is an artist-run podcast from Level 5, a cooperative studio floor in the center of Brussels. In our podcasts, we invite artists and other people to discuss which interests inspire their practice and how they work. Sometimes, we also play sound pieces. Today, Olaf Winkler and Bachiva Ross speak with Sira Vogel-Brudmann and Ethan Efrat. The discussion touches upon different topics like parenthood, the materiality and architecture of image-making, and more. If you'd like to watch the works, please go to tilfa.com and feel free to contact the artist to receive links to specific works. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, welcome to another interview with uh, Radio Level 5. Today we are interviewing two persons at the same time. That is uh, Sira Vögel-Brutmann, but you have to pronounce your name once more afterwards, and uh, Aitan Efrat, which is seems to be a bit easier to pronounce, but I'm not sure if it was right. And uh, interviewing uh, Batsheva Ross and me, that is Olaf Winkler for Radio Level 5. And um, yeah, you are two artists, but working a lot together, a lot with film as one practice, actually. And um, yeah, it's quite interesting because we both know, Batsheva and I, we both know some works of yours. Um, and maybe to give a little bit of an insight, like always, it's a challenge to talk about visual art. It's not purely visual art, of course, but something which the listener can't hear right, uh, see right now. Um, the works that I know are quite often about another person, about somebody else, for example, or there's some works that you did. You did a documentary um, uh, entrance, let's put it that way, to... Um, yeah, she was not really an artist uh, lately in a film. And then it became an, an artwork by itself, I would say. Maybe you can talk about this. Uh, her name is Emma Kunz, if I remember it right. Um, but you also made other films which were inspired by other people. So it's never documentary, but it's inspired by other persons. It's about other person's work. To turn it into a question, is there something which you see as connecting in your work, is there something which comes back, which is interesting you, especially in making your work about others or being inspired by others? Um, I, hi. Hi. <laughs> hi, hi and, and thank you. And um, I think the first thing to kind of uh, mention when we try to look at our practice is our kind of, kind of investment in the medium where Busy with. So we're making single screen uh, films for the cinema. We also make exhibitions. We make some sculptures as well uh, or attempt to do. Um, but our fascination, our discussion is really kind of anchored in the moving image and the politics of moving image, where it comes from and the potential that, that we find in it. Uh, there is very strong links between the politics of image making and the politics of the world, I think. And uh, in terms of power relations, in terms of, of like uh, kind of objecting or questioning linearity and that also lead, leads back to power relations and who tells whose story and, and, and general the idea of, of stories and 
the, the problems that 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 they they bring um i would like never really thought about our practice as like you know being in relation to like being fascinated by other people's uh, uh, practices but it's true that we made a film really going after uh, Danny Caravan this the is Israeli architecture architect sorry and uh, Walter Benjamin and and now Emma Kuntz the thing that I think we are attracted to is is ghosts ghosts is in like the 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 gap that we find in stories in different histories and, and so like chasing kind of going after Walter Benjamin is like kind of playing with ghosts. Um, and I think also Sebastian Coppel, where he was a, a very good friend uh, or uh, like a collaborator, we were like searching for a way to make a film for him, to dialogue with him. Um, and also with Emma Kuntz, it's very much like an attempt to kind of pick up her practice and try to to kind of make it's not really an homage but more like really a dialogue through through images yeah so that's i think um, let's let's put it like that how do you start with a with a project with a film which is mostly is a film but it can be an installation as well or so um do you come from a person which is in like interesting you because we just said you said well you don't even think about that so much but uh, there is some connecting line or is it more like an idea which is something that you are busy with and how do you really get into a project i will just uh, add that uh, uh, for the listeners uh, if anyone uh, is curious to see any of our works you're really welcome to just get in contact and we're very happy to share links to all of them uh, and then things maybe will be less abstract. But then also, yeah, just like to add to what Eitan said and like to shift to the second question of Olaf. Um, I think it's not necessarily the, the people or the absence of the people we work in relationship to that is the starting point. Uh, but it's really like this idea of uh, of something that is missing. So that something that is missing can, can be a person, uh, but it can also be a piece of information or it can be a piece of uh, mater material uh, or it can be um, a story. Uh, and I think like all these things have like played a role in the initial starting point in the different works that we're, we're doing. And I think like having said that, I think it's also important to say like it's not that with our works we're trying to necessarily fill that gap or like um, correct uh, the the missing part and like make an, uh, a new narrative um, but it's rather like to to look at that space which is missing and like what the reflection on that space um, uh, and the, the intervention with the image making and with the editing can add uh, into that space. Do you work with um, with a clear structure of a film? 
before starting or do you like do you work strategically in the sense of doing research then going the next step then going the next step and in the end you go into a visual thing because i remember that Aitan and i we actually we email we had this very very small exchange which was also including the question of uh, in how fast study and research is part of the work and um how 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 do you really go, go into the process of working then? Um, I think some some years we were very much like following at least <clears throat> kind of administratively uh, the like the rhythm of applications for the Flemish government, <laughs> which really affects affected our our practice. So like first is a, a, a research grant and then a production grant. So everything was kind of, it was the research and where we were reading and buying a lot of books and sitting and reading. And then there was the production where you were like uh, kind of um, <clears throat> concentrating everything uh, into shooting days. And in these shooting days, something very like an atmosphere, uh, very specific conditions were created in order to uh, to film and, and have some some things also improvised, but in very kind of specific conditions. And then there is editing and, and so on. Yeah, but it's funny to think actually, because I mean, the thinking of the production always only goes to like the filming. So the filming, we kind of plan very well normally, but then the, the editing is not scripted. So like we don't work with the script uh, in the traditional way of filmmaking, where we like know that this thing that we're going to film on the second day in the afternoon is actually going to fit into that part of the film. So like the editing is always kind of a reshuffling and rethinking um, the work. Where you build the narrative, it's like a... Yeah. I mean, since I think Four years ago, we did the Vils residency and it was the first time we were kind of confronted with the studio space. We never had a studio space. Everything happened in our living room and then in the, on the computer. Um, but that studio space was very interesting because it was kind of paralleled with, we decided to buy a camera uh, that we could use on a daily basis and then started actually co collecting material without any, like without a relation to a specific project or like with a very vague idea of a project in mind. So maybe yeah. you should tell us more about the project they are working on, yeah. Yeah, so for some years I've been very into looking at the kitchen knife as a tool that I find interesting and like as a tool that we find that is just, you know, a mundane like a, a daily utensil but then that also has this ambiguity in it like carries this ambiguity of also violence or of danger in the within the household and yeah so i've been like collecting some really simple looking kitchen knives and then there was the moment i was painting kitchen knives and and making clay versions of kitchen knives Maybe it's important to mention that it comes from a different project of yours. But... Yeah, it's it's uh, an exhibition and a talk actually titled When She Spoke. 
uh, which we did uh, two, two years ago already, uh, which assembled three clips, uh, three video clips and one film uh, clip. Uh, and in each, in each of these clips, there was um, a, a use of a knife. Uh, so one of the clips was of a, a young Palestinian woman uh, called Asra Abed, who, uh, who stood in a central bus station in the north of, uh, of Israel with a knife held out in her hand. And uh, she was standing there for a few minutes and not attacking any one of the passersby. Uh, and uh, of course, a few minutes later, she was shot down by um, uh, the police forces, but also security people and later also military forces um, that happened to be in that uh, station. And uh, the, the clip that we use is, um, is uh, uh, one that was uh, taken by a passerby and was uploaded on YouTube. Um, and then another clip we use in that work is um, uh, from a film of uh, Fernand Delingui, uh, which is a documentary film uh, about a farm uh, that uh, took care, uh, like a caretaking farm uh, for children uh, on the uh, spectrum of autism. Uh, so Fernand Delingui was like a, a pedagogue and uh, who was responsible for that farm. And in the clip we show, uh, there's a, a girl, a young girl who, who's, who's helping one of her caretakers uh, to do like some chores, uh, but she's like playing with a knife. So like, um, he's doing, what is he actually doing, Ethan, the caretaker? I think he's chopping some wood. I th yeah, he's chopping some wood and she's just like playing with the knife, but um, she has like this stick with the knife and she puts the knife in her mouth and it's like very ambivalent, like this, the use of, um, of the knife and and the last clip we use is um of our own daughter um and it's a it's a dialogue between Eitan and her uh, where she kind of like uh, decides to step into the image that uh, Eitan is filming of a of a shadow and a sh some shadow and light um which is coupled with a uh, uh, and eating of a mango. So the mango is cut like really, really finely. So there's like, not, not directly the, the knife, but there's like more like the nurturing role of the knife uh, inside the domestic mm -hmm. um, space. Sorry, that was a very long explanation. No, it was very <laughs> important to understand the, the importance of this knife in your work and where are you taking it now? Or what are you taking from that project to your next project? Yeah, so I'm like one last thing, which I think is an important part for me in that exhibition and also what I take to the future. So these three clips um, uh, were shown together and next to them or like outside of the space that they were shown in, there was um, 
a film projection, a 16 millimeter film projection of a, of a lightning storm uh, above the Mediterranean Sea. So um, it's actually a clip we originally filmed on digital media, but then did a transferal uh, to 16 millimeter. And so the entire film is basically just darkness. So it's black. Uh, so it projects like this black. Um, and within it, there is like the interruption of the lightning, but there is also the interruption of the, the digital interferences. So the camera uh, we filmed it with like couldn't adjust to the enormous difference between uh, complete darkness and extreme light that the lightning proposed. So it creates like these glitches. Um, yeah, so the idea was like really to look at these like different uh, uh, interruptions or like uh, cuts uh, and to also reflect on this idea of, of of the cut uh, of, of the knife, like through that and trans like bring it back into the, uh, the, the audiovisual language. And when was this project done again? What year? I think it's two years ago. Mm -hmm. And getting back to 2021, now the knife comes again. And uh, how is it uh, with all the so, footage you, you're, you're collecting from your family, right? Yeah, so I think I mean, experiencing the, the last year and uh, especially the first confinement, but also like the repercussion that that first confinement has still, <laughs> uh, the, the, the domestic space, like the intensity of like the house has just like uh, reached a new dimension. So uh, looking back at materials that we, we we found six years ago suddenly get like a new translation through like the understanding of intensity of like the nuclear family. And so I think like the, the, the new project, I mean, it's really hard still to talk about because it's really early and also we're in very different places in relationship to this work. Uh, which I think is an important part of the work. I can explain that later. Yeah, that would be interesting to talk about after you. Yeah. Um, it really, I mean, for me, it really looks at like the, the ideas of nurture and violence, which was already like the starting point of the project called When She Spoke, but also like through the prism of, um, of construction and destruction and um, uh, and the idea of, of of trauma and where that lays within the spectrum of responsibilities that one has as a parent, but also as an image producer. Um, yeah. So this. Like what is what is really what is really interesting. Even though it's only vague uh, for me at the moment, is that the the project you talked about like two years ago? It sounded like you took different clips and you more or less presented them in connection to each other. That means in the same installation environment or whatever, but they were not merged into one film, right? So it was just different pieces. So um, they interact in a certain way. At least that's what I imagine even though they are not brought together. I have the feeling right now only from having glances uh, from what you said and also from sometimes seeing you in the studio sitting there that um, 
the work right now is much more about uh, bringing things together. And uh, a moment which I find really interesting, if not magical, is the transformation into what you just called audiovisual language. So if you have an idea in general as a filmmaker, you have to transport it or transform it because you're not making films that are like a like a normal movie in on, on television or so which is just telling a story of a person i don't know doing this and coming back and i don't know what it's it's not a simple story it's more like an audiovisual composition collage maybe collage yeah something bringing stuff together and and this is um is that something which which you learned over the years or do you feel more safe with this now how, how does this work especially with two people of course also it seems like a very very slow process a process which is very much relying on on small details on feeling how things fit together can i yeah. i just add to uh all of what olaf is saying uh, that uh from different particles you put things together and with two minds also it's even more of a collage of bringing in so yeah so how do you work as two people as multiple uh, materials yeah yeah i i think um as as we said in the beginning we're very invested in the medium of audiovisual or uh, or image moving image and I think, yeah, the starting point, so we find very, a lot of parallels between the process, or let's say the process takes a very, very important place in our practice. And I think the part that everything starts in a dialogue is something that, that has also like, you know, that we can link to how we approach filmmaking. Um, something that is constantly in relation to. And now we arrive to a moment where the cut, so with the knife, from the knife, this question of the cut literally um, in the materiality of, of image making, how to approach that. There is something very violent about the cut, but also something that allows two things to come together. So trying to just to imagine what it could be to to cut in a way that brings things together rather than splitting things, two things apart. And um, so, so you mean also the cut in the film, like uh, you say, like the, the director says cut at that moment and then which is a clash and a, and a point where things are combined. Yeah, cut can be either the cut of the recording or it can be the cut on the editing table. Yeah. Um, and, and you're also filming something which is cutting, I mean. Which is framing as well. Which is yeah. framing, which so. cuts out, yeah. yeah. So you talked about two approaches now. Uh, just like, let's make it more clear. Uh, your project is taking uh, family footage from the camera uh, that you took of you yourself and your kids just a uh, normal family uh, playing around, you know, uh, with a different protagonist. And you are now, am I, am I right? Correct me. Uh, and you are now trying to re-edit it and look at it again, but you're doing it separately, right? Um, and you are working with two different approaches. Uh, one of Sira's, one of Eitan's. And so how would you define your 
different point of views. I mean, at the moment, I think we're, uh, it's still early, but I think in a way we realized that in order to do this pro project, we have to deconstruct the idea of parenthood into what it is to be a mother and what it is to be a father. Uh, and it sounds a bit, it sounds obvious, but for some reason, it was not so obvious for a very long time. And I think that also has to do with like the intense entanglement that um, we normally live and operate in. So, I mean, we live together, we work together, we're parenting together. And um, I think throughout the years, we've found a good balance to do that in. That balance was of course uh, changed. Uh, it, I mean, it changes all the time in different subtleties, but it was very much changed uh, within this uh, this period where you know contact with any other people who can potentially be responsible or supportive uh, within the family structure or from outside of the family structure have like suddenly disappeared, um, and so. Yeah, it became clear that this, um, that within this, uh, this voice of the parents, there are actually very, uh, there are very two different voices and to make a work about the parents is a very different uh, process than to make a work that includes the points of views of each of us. Um, yeah. Don't know if that's a good explanation. It's an explanation, but what specifically is your voice and, and what is Aethon's voice from your point of view? I think it has to do more with um, uh, like kind of our just, you know, personal tendencies or sensitivities or how we look at things. Uh, like I feel I need to see things on the timeline and like as a as a starting point like I think a lot when I like we talk about or we think about ideas I constantly I immediately see them on a timeline somehow and I think Sira works differently and so for me yeah putting on the timeline would be kind of a first step or like yeah third step and maybe for Sira is uh, something that I don't know will arrive later. That's one of what. That's one of, of. Yeah, but it's also. I mean, a lot of the material we're busy with now is uh, sensitive. Let's say for one reason or another, and there was also a sense of like, okay, in order for each one to like uh, protect themselves uh, from like uh, just like being uh, triggered by the other person's response or by or just like giving the space that each time need each one needs to 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 digest what it is that is happening um, then actually we need to we need to separate the process from like working on it together so like this place where we would normally uh, sit together look at the computer each one comment sometimes argue uh, find the uh, 
a compromise, realize the compromise is not good enough, working on it again, you know, like this whole process, which is normally how we would work, it felt too fragile. It, feel, it still feels too fragile to, to do this in this piece. Yeah, I want to, to also add that like, you know, one of the kind of people for me that kind of, uh, you know, um, that I walk, that walk with me is, is Winnicott. Um, and um, like this, uh, this uh, psychoanalyst and in his kind of, what I borrow from him is the idea that parenthood is a lot about like what he calls the good enough mother, which I would like to, to be the good enough father is like the possibility to be dis distracted uh, by the kids and still kind of stay intact at the same time. So that paradox somehow uh, is uh, what he suggests as like the good enough. Wait, that's uh, very interesting, but I want to first, before we go there, um, I, so we, I, got from, I got a picture of how Eitan is working. He's putting uh, all the things on the timeline in his, his computer. How do you are, how are you now approaching this project? Yeah, what, is it, what do you physically do for this? Um, uh, currently reading. <laughs> drinking a lot of tea. Uh, no, not actually. I'm drinking a lot of whiskey. Uh, <laughs> that sounds productive. Yeah. Uh, no, I, at the moment I'm, I'm reading a lot and I'm thinking. What are you reading? Uh, different things. But like uh, today is, a, is this book again on the table, which is an amazing you know, you have to, uh, this is an audio. Ah, uh, yeah, it's an audio. Fuck, I forget. So you have to uh, tell us one. So um, I picked out from the um, bookshelf uh, Mother Reader, which is uh, uh, a book edited by Moira Davi, mm -hmm. a Canadian normally photographer. Uh, and there's actually only a very small introduction by her. And it's like all these amazing uh feminist writers who write about their experience of being writers or artists and being mothers at the same time um and the book is is uh, the, the great thing about this book is that it's edit and edited in a chronology so it kind of like looks at the, the different pieces of writings and there's very different kinds of writings in this book uh so there's like essays there's journal like part entry journal and journal entries, poetry, uh, chapters of lit like uh, novels. So very, like the whole spectrum. Uh, and it's edited chronologically. So it starts like from um, uh, around like, uh, I think the first piece is like from the thirties. I'm not sure, but like, like something like 70 years ago. And then it goes chronologically so it keeps looking back on how these different writers refers to the experiences of each other. So they keep quoting themselves. Um, and you make for yourself notes for like you mark specific things and write it down to kind of develop to your own pro uh, project. Yeah. Yes. What, what, what I find really interesting is that, um, I don't even know if it's true, but uh, as far as we could understand, Aitan's work, I think it uh, it sounds a bit like it has this idea of um, audiovisual pieces 
definitely or necessarily involved in the further process. While what you are doing right now for me, as somebody who's not filmmaking, does not necessarily involve filmmaking. What I mean is that if you're entering this process that you're just describing very openly, you could also say, I am just uh, directing the rhythm of the final piece, or I am doing something entirely different or whatever. So um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are also coming up with audiovisual material, which is then merged together with the other one. I mean, the, the audiovisual material is all there. So that's like part of the thing of working with a collection. So, I mean, essentially, I will also get to the moving image material and we will, I guess, both work from the same pool of material. Uh, so like there's one hard drive with all the files and I, I guess we will both be editing a different narrative uh, out of that. That's at the moment, that's like the framework for, or that's like the working plan i'm just like not, not there yet uh, yeah i mean i have i i feel like i know the material very very well because you know it's stuff that has been with us and it's all stuff that um you know i, I some at the moment i'm still just like editing it in my head so it sounds like you're working from the meta and and uh Ethan is working from the material from the details I feel I work from the from the material back to the meta where I put everything on the timeline and then chop, 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 chop in the end, I'm left with nothing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's like hopefully a crossover between us where we can meet and actually make something. I'm sure there will be. <laughs> and coming back to your point, you're working uh, according to this uh, psychologist, his name or a psycho yeah i mean just in it's like in kind of yeah one of these you know again ghosts that are there like the yeah again the for me the relation to the material is very tactile or it's very much the the interest is very much in the material and he speaks about this idea of destruction the kid kind of growing up like as if every step of growing up is a destruction of the parent. Um, and this is, yeah, it comes in very different shapes and in different moments. And your kids know you very well and uh, more than you know yourself sometimes. And they have, you know, that these, the keys to all the, the locked doors. <laughs> and so the idea that the kids really have children really have a kind of an access to places that the parent is not very, is not ready or even acknowledge that like the possibility to open that spaces and the kids just, you know, they have clear path and that, and these moments are not easy for any parent. But then what he suggests is that like this, the, when they destroy you and like they're, you know different in their kind of yeah i don't know how even how to call that behavior one as like to give it one title but in different ways and so while you're kind of destroyed or just still stay intact still be there still stay there um which is like that's the most and maybe the only 
real job and the most difficult one of a parent. So I'm thinking a lot about this destruction and not being able sometimes to stay intact um, most of the time, but like trying to understand what, you know, again, I'm like, I cannot not bring it back to thinking of image and thinking of, of editing and like what, what this destruction can be. And I'm thinking of, you know, things we worked in the past, it's all there kind of hovering or like haunting us, like thinking of Walter Benjamin and how he looks at ruins. So if I'm destroyed and like become into pieces, then Walter Benjamin suggests that to look at history, we, we can pick up any of the pieces. Of course, he's not speaking about the human psyche, but he's speaking more about, you know, ruins of, of, you know, remnants of war or, or violent histories, but then to pick up each stone and to look at it and to give it um, a value by itself uh, to, to like understand the past. Anyways, so as you see, it's like, it's very complicated in sense of like, there are many things that work at once. Uh, especially when you think about these scattered like identity and uh, scattered uh, like the state of mind of, of destruction, of being destroyed. Uh, thinking also, of course, of, of trauma and thinking about how we look at history, how we think about our own identity, where we come from, where we are going. But then how to put that in a timeline? So that's kind of what I'm now busy with in front of my, in my, like on my computer. For me, it's, it's, this is a really interesting topic because um, you're talking about the, the timeline. For me, it's first of all, a deconstruction of a certain process of layering or like the fact that there's layers. If you talk about identity, especially from uh, the point of view that you two might have together and separately, um, as I'm not a father, so I don't know the situation. But um, the question is, what is what is destroyed if you talk about this destruction? Is it your role as a father or as a mother, or is it you as your as a psychological identity? Is it in how far does the destruction of the authority of you as parent affect the entity of you as a psychological self or so? You know what I mean? I'm, it's it's yeah. a bit vague. But uh, for me, that's really interesting. And that's that's a question of layering. And is it legitimate to uh, deconstruct these layers of the I, of the being? And at the same time, then, you are confronting this with the problem of putting it into a film, which is, of course, a time-based uh, art form. But this first would be interesting, first of all. Do you encounter this, that you feel that, that this is maybe also a way of dealing with this? seeing the different roles and how they are affecting each other? That's maybe, that's maybe the fact that I haven't been able to answer that question for myself is also why I'm not yet busy with the material. Um, I am uh, still a little bit too afraid of uh, what this creation can actually do 
to the rest of my living experience. So to me uh, as a mother, to me as a person who you know, is responsible for doing the laundry uh, and to me as um, you know, essentially someone who also needs to experience herself as an individual uh, in the world. So I think there is a lot of the emotional and the psych uh, involved in this project in ways that cannot really be predetermined. Um, yeah, and that's, that's a little bit, uh, it's a little, it's exposed. It's a little bit more exposed than like how the normal comfort zone is like. Would say very exposed. Yeah. Very brave to do. Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking like if to bring it a bit a step back to the to the kind of conceptual thinking, but then not too far back. It's like because it's going, been very concrete until now. <laughs> instead of like we can change. Instead of saying destruction, we can say this split. Like something I'm thinking about also in relation to different uh, interviews of with uh, filmmakers that we did in Radio Level 5 with, with uh, Milena Des and with um, Chloe Malcotti, like thinking that while you create something, you keep a certain alienation that you kind of almost artificially put uh, to your points of view. You look, you try to make something that is intimate, is, that is true to you, while you still, you can, you imagine an audience or you imagine yourself in the editing room or you imagine yourself already sitting with people seeing the work. So it's kind of, you know, this split that also is there, I think, as a human being in terms of where you come from and where you live or, uh, your different roles in society or your different roles in family. And I think it's just like kind of acknowledging, accepting that split and that shift between places and notions as part of who we are. And, and again, going back to image making and again to that kind of stubborn timeline that is kind of insisting to be linear. Like, what do you do with that split? Um, I think in the last work we did about Emma Kunz, we very much enjoyed superimposition. Superimposition brings something that is so rich and wonderful to work with. Apart from the fact that it's beautiful, it also allows things to come together in a way that is very exciting. It's not about two separate things existing side by side, but rather two things entangled creating something new together that it's impossible almost to separate them and I think it also disrupt the idea of uh, time because uh, different things have different motions when mm. you see them on uh, on the same timeline you understand that uh, you're reading two stories and they disrupt each other yeah it's yeah. also quite interesting with the emma kunz film 
well, I, I know the film, or we know the film, uh, but we haven't seen it in the installation, uh, finally in the exhibition, which is, I think, closed at the moment still due to Corona in Switzerland. <laughs> no one um, has seen it. <laughs> no one has seen it. Uh, but I think you, you mentioned when we talked about it that it is a loop. So even though it's like 14 minutes long or how much, um, it's repeating itself. And we had this discussion before, uh, not in this interview, that uh, this also means you have to adapt a tiny bit to the expectations maybe of the of the spectator that he's not always watching from the beginning to the end um but this loop also means that there is a certain kind of repetition and if you if you if you then combine this for example with a split screen of several things several loops which maybe don't have the same rhythm that can be really really interesting because then all of a sudden you get a tiny bit out of this um timeline dictatorship yeah but just having the chance to view it again yeah even thinking like that when it will if it will be shown in a cinema space also to have like one time and a half you know not to like yeah. have a beginning and an end so much i mean there will be but to really repeat um this is something i really love in an exhibition spaces uh, and something that i'm thinking like yeah, how to introduce to the to the cinema or to the single screen? How much do you know? No, the well, me as a well educated as an architect, not working as an architect, of course. A question which uh, we came across in other interviews as well. Um, how much do you think in terms of space with your work? Because as soon as you talk about the installation in an actual exhibition space, of course, you also have the spatial surrounding us as part of the, the situation that you enter as a spectator? I mean, actually, for, for this uh, still yet to be defined work, which I think temporarily is still titled Is It a Knife Because? Uh, I actually think of it very spatially, and it also has to do with the fact that uh, probably a lot of the artifacts uh, <laughs> that are like around the house still, or somewhere in the studio, are going to be included uh, in the presentation of the yeah so I really think of it as an exhibition that has uh, moving image elements but also so you're gonna uh, have real knives there you think yeah actually I mean at some point there was an idea uh, of like uh, getting like a whole bucket full of knives and like actually giving um each person who comes to see the show a knife to like carry around while they see the show. I don't know if we'll actually do that, but it was at least, it was an idea at some point. Uh, um, and the sh the, sorry? It sounds quite dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. The work that uh, we did about Emma Kunz, it was commissioned uh, by this uh, Kunsthaus in, in Aarau, in the small town in Switzerland. And there it was, uh, it was very much, you know, the first thing that was kind of decided on is, is the screen, the size of the screen. So we made a work, the size and the shape of the screen that was uh, um, round. So a circle of uh, di diameter of two meters. And we created the work for two meter diameter circular same screen. Um, screen so very much thinking of, of the space um, 
for example, another work we did, Miroir Seb Poigil, in honor of, of uh, Sebastian Coppel, is a work that was made in 16 millimeter material that he collected uh, film stock that was expired in the 80s. Anyways, and you use this material, you put it in the camera and you don't know exactly what will come out of it because the, the material, the pellicle is so old. Um, so for example, then the materiality of the film really uh, kind of dictates the way it is, it is shown. We show it only in 16 millimeter. And so always, you know, with the projector and everything. So many times this, I mean, it goes back and forth from the- Yeah, in that case, yeah. in that case is really like the projector defines the space. Um, but in that work, there's also like, a, uh, in, in the content of the work, there's a reflection also on the screen. So in this case, there is no need for any specific screen. It kind of takes for granted that the screen is white, <laughs> uh, but there is still like a reflection of on the screen as like a, a surface, which is obviously important for the work. So in that sense, it is also, there is also a spatial speculation, um, even when it's just really created as a, a single screen projection, uh, was not spatial in an installation kind of way or like how you'd think of a, an exhibition as it's, an installation. It's, yeah, it's, it's because I'm also thinking about scale and, and really like you say, the, the question of reflection around. And so, because I mean, film is, is also about uh, not only light when, when you produce it, but it's also about light when you project it. And this light has a, can have quite a power. I'm just remembering, uh, and I don't even know where it was, in Dortmund or Cologne, somewhere in, in, in Germany, where I used to live, there was a cinema um, and they had a problem with rain co coming in. Mm -hmm. So they had to take out the first, let's say, eight rows of seats. So when you were sitting in the first row, first of all, you were not sitting so close that it was uncomfortable, but you were sitting like it was really comfortable. You had nobody in front of you, but you had this huge water puddle in front of you. So the entire film was reflected and it was quite impressive because all of a sudden the entire, it was the opposite of the black box idea of this puristic uh, film presentation. And it was, was quite nice. And it gives an entirely different atmosphere, almost in a physical sense or texture-like kind of, of situation that appears. And so, so yeah. Sounds really beautiful. Yeah, it was nice, but it was and humid, like an very excess. humid, <laughs> humid also. Yeah, but for one and a half hours or so, you you can do it. Yeah, and then the other thing is that actually I was a bit uh, surprised with Emma Kuhn said it was a circular uh, canvas that you projected on, but when you showed it to us, it was on a screen. So it was a circle in a black screen of a computer or whatever you you show it, and. Um, Actually, I like the fact of the circle within something black. And yeah, so I'm really curious to see it, if it works the same way if the canvas by definition is already circular. Yeah, it it was, might be something totally different. It was, uh, it was interesting to, to see it in the space because that was the first time I saw it really on a screen without these black edges. And that actually took, I mean, also the size, it brought something that we actually, you know, we anticipated and 
but it was a surprise nonetheless uh, to see it. I really also, I really hope it will have a chance to be seen in a cinema space because I really like and kind of cherish that black space. I mean, it's not really black because in video, black is always light, not, in, not like in film. But, uh, but yeah, there is something about what the circle reveals and also what the circle hides that puts forward this question of the frame very strongly. And I think there is a lot of potential there. And I think it does very good for the film. It's also, it's a back projection. So the projection is not coming from the front, is not coming from the same direction that the, the viewer comes, it really comes from the back. Um, so it's also like a sense of, um, uh, of, of directionality and, and absorption uh, that, you know, questions like uh, both the light, but also the color and the presence and uh, the approach, all these things. When, why I also like the circle, but there was maybe something which uh, is, is my personal um, association with it is that I had to think of uh, Marcel Duchamp's last work, where you look through a door and um, into the space that he built. And um, so it's this kind of voyeuristic situation, actually, but this peeping hole in some way uh, in his work, that's it's much more obvious, of course. But to keep it more abstract is that um, your film about Emma Kunz had several associations with this circular canvas, but one of them is that it underlines the uh, introspection, if you can call it like this, you're looking into something. And that's something which I very much like about this work actually, and it's also something to do with the rhythm and, and the poetry. I saw it also like the circle because you were dealing with something uh, organic and also the way Emma Kunz maybe mind is a bit more organic there rather than, uh, um, ra I don't know, organic thinking. I thought that the circle is more of a uh, shape that maybe can generate this kind of uh, thinking. I don't know. Yeah, I'm thinking also about concentration of power, concentration of light. Um, there is something we worked with the microscope for some time and then, or with very, very close like macro filming, we took lenses and turned them to the other side and kind of taped them to the camera. And then you also have this, the border and the round, the circular border, like, in, like when you look through a microscope. And I think there is something there that's, that kind of con like this concentration of of attention and uh, things that obviously also sleep that parameter things that arrive into the parameter and all the intensity from different angles that arrive to that uh, designated uh, kind of uh, very heated circle so i think there is something there that works also in a kind of naturalistic way, or also in a in a scientific way, and I I like this kind of mm -hmm. this meeting between these two ways of looking in the circle in the circle. Maybe we have to say that because we talked about Emma Kunz and uh, 
of course we didn't really explain it too much and uh, but i have a strong feeling but the problem is i know it of course so the work uh, anyways i have a very strong feeling that you can understand everything that we talked about even though um uh the listeners might not know the piece um so but we will give like your website or whatever or somebody can get in contact with you as you already offered um to watch the films um also, for example, the interview with Milena that you, Aitan, did um, is very interesting for some of the topics that we talked about today because it's, I think it's more than an hour already that we talked, so maybe we should slowly get to an end. But what I liked very much in your work so far that I, as I saw it, and which also came, a topic which came back in Milena's work when you talked about it is the um, bringing together of what I consider a very poetic layer of work or very poetic work, let's put it that way, much direct, more direct, and something which can still be clearly political also. It was a topic in, in Milena's work, definitely. She made work in the, the um, Palestinian village. and um, But it's also the, the things that you talked about. Is that something which... Maybe maybe to have like final statement on that, how important is that for you? How much are you guided by this to bring these two things together, the poetic and the political? Is it important for you to be understood in a certain political sense as well? Uh, I think maybe I can bring back the idea of, of being in a split. Uh, I think there is certain things that I find um, kind of substantial to my kind of position in the world <laughs> uh, as, a, as, a, as a citizen of the world and where I come from and where I live, that I feel the need to <clears throat> reflect and I need to, I, I feel the need to to um, project back or let's say in the moving image, I find a big potential to like preach while you, while you practice. <laughs> so when there is such a dichotomy of the, you know, in front, behind the camera, the linearity of the timeline and much more, you're, you start with a problem and you find different solutions to these things that are unsettled and they resonate. The other, the other side is also a person that just want to, you know, uh, to be free from that and just, uh, you know, create things without a need to, you know, um, reflect back on something. I think there is something in the game in between that is, uh, I think that is, is there uh, constantly. And I think that that produces maybe if it's, successful like uh, an interesting uh, meeting point between political and poetic i mean in an ideal situation it creates that but there is a, an interesting dialogue between these two i think i see it a little different <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i don't actually see um any difference really between a, something which is poetic and something which is uh, uh, political. 
like they are already entangled with each other in so many different ways and actually trying to separate them feels um, uh, feels violent to me in a way. Uh, I think is more question, which was like the second part of your question, Olaf. Um, if you want something to be understood, then it already puts like the idea of like being political as wanting to be understood in a certain way. Um, and I think both with work which can be like categorized as more political, but also with work which can be uh, categorized as more poetic, you're just, the aim is to try to propose some kind of movement. Um, and that movement anyway, as a, as a maker, you cannot control how that movement is gonna turn out to ripple in the world. Uh, but I think there is an attempt to create a movement uh, in, in whatever it is that you're doing as an artist. Um, yeah. Maybe we leave it like this? Yeah, I think it's a very good uh, place for us to reflect. Yeah, I like both questions, uh, both answers very, both very answers much. Answers are very uh, <laughs> maybe two sides of the same point. Uh, yeah, point. I think it gives a, a lot of insight also how you work together, and it's really mm -hmm. fascinating. So, yeah, so good luck with um, with the current <laughs> work. Yeah, it's really exciting to to see what comes out. Thank you so much uh, for the attention. Yes, thank uh, you very much. Thank you both. You're listening to the Level 5.